Hello, and welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast, brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Facebook group. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm so excited to be here with you. We are going to cover puppy raising right from the start on this podcast, and although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is actually my first time raising a puppy, too. So I'm right in the trenches with you on the good, the bad, the cute, and the stinky. Today, we're talking to Bryony Aviles about puppy socialization. This is one of those things you likely already know that you need to do, but you might not know exactly how or where to start, and that's where we come in. So Bryony owns Sandy Paws Dog Training along the Connecticut shoreline. She came to dog training from the shelter rescue world where she volunteered for many years on the weekends while she was a practicing attorney. Realizing that she was burnt out from law early in her career, she decided to make the giant leap into dog training full-time, leaving the practice of law behind. Bryony is a certified professional dog trainer, graduate of the Karen Pryor Academy, and mentor trainer for the Catch Canine Trainers Academy. She focuses her business on puppy training and family dog training, providing both private training and group classes to her clients. When not working with clients' dogs, she's also raising a puppy at her home, Leo the Pit Pup, who you can check out on Instagram, who's now about six and a half months old, and her senior rescue, Luna, who's the glue that holds the family, human and dog, together. Bryony is also the mom to two little girls who are two and a half and five. So welcome to the podcast, Bryony. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So this podcast is also supported by our members on Patreon for as little as three bucks a month. You can support this podcast and get perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. You can sign up over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. And this week we have a patron shout out, which goes to Amy Bloomfield, who says that she just wants to welcome all the new puppy owners and thank them for choosing positive training for their new edition. Much love and positive vibes from Sun and Amy. All right, so let's start off right from the start. Um, what is socialization, Bryony? Yeah, there are lots of definitions out there. I think for your average dog owner, um, you know, it's something debated among dog trainers. But for your average dog owners, I think it needs to less be about the actual exact words that we use, but more just about uh, the concept of exposing your puppy to the world that they will grow up in, learning to see things happen and that they will remain safe through that process. I think a lot about, we're here in the United States, I think a lot about uh, dogs' behavior in the United States. Primarily, our dogs are in homes or shelters. Um, We have less street dogs than someplace like Europe or Latin America or elsewhere. Um, And I've just, I've seen those street dogs just hang out (laughs) Uh, without reactivity issues. So I am all, I always have that image of just sort of street dogs, you know, seeing other dogs, seeing strangers, seeing cars and buses, bicycles pass by and, and not react, just watch it go on. And so then I think about, um, I think that really is probably our goal as we raise our dogs to be able to just be comfortable watching the world go by and and not um, kind of overreacting at any particular thing. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one of the things that I find really interesting in talking to different people about socialization is kind of what your goals are. And some people really prefer this kind of like passive exposure approach. Other people are all about like cookies, 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 making everything awesome. Um, And some people are kind of in the middle. I know I personally have been kind of walking this line with my puppy where most of the time we're just kind of passively exposing because I don't want him to be like frantically excited about people or dogs or anything. But then if we do run into something where he's a little bit more nervous about it, we'll do a little bit of like looking at the piece of construction machinery, looking back at me for treats. And I think one of the other things that I always want to bring up when talking about socialization is that socialization is also part of a specific 
neurodevelopmental period for a puppy, mm -hmm. um, that window closes between kind of 12 and 16 weeks, kind of depending on the breed or the research paper that you're looking at. Mm -hmm. uh, some of our more uh, puppy-like breeds, so think Labradors, French Bulldogs, Bull Terriers, they might have a longer socialization period versus some of our breeds that are much more, uh, they develop much more quickly. So like Belgian Malinois, German Shepherds, they have shorter socialization periods. So if your puppy is six months old, you are no longer really in socialization. And this podcast, while it might be helpful for you, is not um, really geared towards you. We are talking specifically about helping puppies that are in that critical socialization period. So pretty young puppies. I, I often get clients who um, whose puppies are 16 weeks, right? So they're looking at me saying, so what? It's just over. And I, I don't think that's true. As you said, there are breed differences. But overwhelmingly, I think the idea is not that we have one set period to socialize, to throw the whole world at our puppy. I think that um, that idea of it is not quite accurate. I think what is helpful is to think of that young period as the puppy's brain is sort of telling them as a default, the world is safe, right? Like if we compare this to a wild animal, their socialization period would be very young because early on they would have to know that a predator could get them. So for puppies, they have this period where their brain is telling them, things are probably safe. So I think we we call it a critical period because the brain is working with us. Yeah. Kind of the default is what I'm experiencing is safe. And, you know, we, we can talk about when your puppy isn't feeling safe. Um, and so not that socialization ends at 16 weeks. It doesn't. And absolutely socialization needs to continue. But that then you're starting to work against the brain, against the brain that's telling the dog, ah, that new unfamiliar thing could hurt you. So maybe make it go away or you get away, right? So so that it's not that socialization ends, but then we, we're working a little bit of an uphill battle because um, the, the, the dog is, you know, their brain is telling them something else. Yeah, absolutely. So why does it matter um, to actually socialize our puppies, particularly, you know, early um, versus waiting until they're seven months old and they're, you know, they, they can walk nicely on leash now and they're fully vaccinated. You know, why wouldn't we wait until they're a little bit older to get this done? Right. I think for some of the reasons we've mentioned, so socialization is happening very, very young. If you're getting a puppy from a breeder, um, then looking into that breeder socialization program, right? So then we're talking, and I think you'll talk about this another time, but, um, you know, as early as six to eight weeks in those very early weeks, socialization is also happening. So I guess what we're focusing on um, here as trainers is more when puppy comes home, whether it's from a breeder yeah. or a rescue. I, you know, I think we want to make this um, extreme to make an impact on dog owners, right? So like, if you miss that early imprinting period, it's gone forever, right? So yeah. it is crucial. But then on the flip side, uh, there's still lots to do. Like we don't always get our puppy at 10 weeks old. So, um, so yeah, I think we want to emphasize the importance of it, but then also say, um, but if you, if you get your dog later or whatever, um, catch up can be made, but you're, you're catching up rather than being proactive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a really, really good point. And yeah, you know, as, as we've already kind of alluded to this matters because as your puppy's brain ages, they kind of naturally become more afraid of novelty. And that makes sense kind of evolutionarily. If you're a little baby puppy and you're in the den with mom, anything that you're seeing, it is really safe for your brain to kind of Put that in the safe category because mom and you know pack members or whatever let it in and let it nearby 
And then as you get older and older and you're more and more independent, it makes sense if you see something you've never, ever seen before. And again, we're kind of anthropomorphizing the brain here and, you know, pretending evolution is uh, a person, um, which it's not, then to be more afraid of something because you've never seen it before. Because if you haven't seen it before, it's probably because mom was keeping it away, which probably means it's bad. Um, So again, just because you miss your socialization period doesn't mean that you're doomed forever. But I will say almost all of the toughest cases I've ever worked with are dogs that really missed massive aspects of that critical socialization period. So I'm talking, you know, puppies that were born in a basement and not turned into the shelter until they were six months old and they'd never been out of the basement before. So they'd never been on anything but concrete. They'd never seen anything other than their siblings and their mom, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, they were just incredibly under-socialized. Those puppies that were born in that situation were often worse off than the mother even though she had actually spent more time there because she had had socialization outside of that. So it is a lot harder if you miss it. So we've already talked a little bit about what that socialization period is and kind of what happens if you miss it. So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the things that you may want to expose your puppy to. I just just wanted to make another point on, you know, what is socialization? We've talked about exposure and, and then why does it matter? I think another really important point is how to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. A lot of people got puppies in those last year. Um, what's very common where I live, because I think that I think we have done our job to convey um, to dog owners that socialization is really important. You know, in one sense, um, we've done our job, and that's really exciting. Um, but I think we there's a gap of then communicating what how to properly do socialization. So what I see a lot of is socialization. People think socialization is marching your puppy up to every dog and up to every person that they see. And so I think socialization done wrong like that can can sort of create a monster dog, right? So those are the puppies who learn that every single time they see a person or another dog, it's social hour. And so they they get all amped up. And then we have a dog who actually can't um, not be overexcited when they see another person or another, another dog. So why, why is it so important that we do socialization correctly? Because we can also sort of inadvertently um, create, create little monster puppies or dogs um, who are over aroused, over excited when they see things that they really should learn to just see and um, watch go by. Yeah, I find it helpful to think about what I want my puppy's ultimate behavior to be as an adult. Um, so I really strongly prefer that my dogs ignore other dogs on walks. Um, I'm okay with them being a little bit more social with people, but I I really, really strongly prefer ignoring other dogs. So that's a really big component of how I so- I'm socializing Niffler is we're going out and we're practicing just moving past other dogs without pulling towards them in any way and just getting used to the idea that, yeah, we see other dogs and, you know, it's no big deal. I also travel a ton and I want my puppy to be really comfortable with a wide variety of situations. So I live out um, on five acres in rural Montana. So I'm taking my puppy into town every day and doing as much as I can in Missoula's downtown, which is not exactly a bustling city, to get him used to the idea that during his lifetime, it is very likely that I'm going to move multiple times. He may end up being a demo dog in downtown San Francisco. His older brother, Barley, had to do that multiple times. So I'm really thinking about that versus if my goal was for, if, if I owned this house and I just kind of lived here, I wouldn't be nearly as focused on that. No, exactly. I um, I think it's so important for people to envision what they um, what they want outings with their dog to look like. So my assumption is, um, you know, 
especially in our, we have like these little town greens in our towns along the shoreline, which have coffee shops on them. And you can kind of walk around the green and it's, or, you know, think of Main Street, wherever. You'd probably like to be able to hold a coffee in your hand and walk your dog, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You can't hold a coffee in your hand if your puppy or dog is sort of lunging towards um, each passing dog or person. So I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, you know, envision the end behavior. So how to train that is take your puppy on these outings and just reward them for walking along at your side um, and kind of ignoring those things, other dogs or other people that are going by um, as a, as a baseline. And then you can add on to that greetings, right? So then you can add on uh, socialization with other dogs and um, meeting people. Also kind of looking at the puppy in front of you as well. So if I had a puppy who was a little bit more on that fearful side, I would probably be working a little bit harder on letting that puppy greet people and asking people to greet my puppy appropriately uh, without overwhelming the puppy, which again, we're going to get to as far as how to do that and how to keep an eye on your puppy's body language. But if I had a puppy who was more nervous of things or a breed that was naturally much more aloof, so if I had a chow puppy um, or an Akita puppy or something, I might be focusing much more on actually doing greetings because that is something that those breeds tend to struggle with, um, obviously generalizing here, versus if I had a Labrador puppy or a Golden Retriever puppy or a Doodle puppy, I would be focusing much, much more, again, these stereotypical ones that are, you know, over the top, coming out of their skin with joy to go meet someone. I would be hammering much harder for them on ignoring people and passively moving by them. But I have a Border Collie who kind of falls nicely in the middle. So I, I'm finding that I get to kind of do a little bit of both. Um, but it, it's very puppy dependent and just, um, you know, your neighbor with the chow puppy and you with your Labrador puppy, you might have to do this really, really differently. Or, you know, your cousin with the puppy who came a little bit under socialized from a rescue or shelter situation versus you with your puppy culture, silver spoon in the mouth puppy are going to have to do this differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Great point. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you may want to consider exposing your puppy to and how to go about that. Right. So um, I I would say, um, you know, top of the list is um, other people. Um, Dr. Ian Dunbar, I think, um, kind of founded the idea of 100 people within 100 days. So within your puppy's first 100 days, which is, you know, a little over three months, that your puppy will have met 100 people. And that sounds really overwhelming. But if you think about if you if you did an outing, um, your puppy would probably see 10 to 15 to 20 people on any particular outing, right? So it can can be achieved like that. I think, again, what you're what we just spoke to as um, meeting the puppy who they are is so important, right? So um, first of all, if I have a younger puppy, I'm thinking about um, people handling that puppy also probably, right? Um, While looking out for the body language of the puppy. Um, But early exposure, closer to 10 10 weeks, um, I think we're we're looking at that as as, um, our puppies are a little bit older. I'm thinking of them more... more out on leash, um, more sort of like out in the world, right? So people, um, people is one thing, you know, um, most dog trainers um, or behaviorists can tell you that um, it is more common for dogs to have a fear of men. Um, I think there is a variety of theories, um, a deeper voice, um, larger build. Um, So, so certainly, I often try to think of, um, you know, seeking out, um, 
seeking out men <laughs> who are going to be nice to my puppy <laughs> um, and have those different clothes, right? And then, and then um, men and equipment. So, you know, is it a uniform or is it a construction helmet um, or is it just a hat and sunglasses, right? So I also think of um, as we're socializing our puppies to wearing different equipment on us and you can, you can do that. So I think we'll probably talk a little bit about how to do this in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> right? You can go raid uh, your Halloween costumes, um, but also your winter clothes because, um, because dogs see shapes, you know, if you suddenly put on um, a puffy winter coat and a hat, uh, your dog may bark at you because they don't recognize, uh, like the, the, the outline has changed a lot. Um, so introducing your puppy at an early age to these things. And as you're introducing disguises or costumes or hats or sunglasses, you know, it doesn't mean popping around a corner in your puppy's face with like, a you know, a monster <laughs> face on. Exactly. Yeah, Halloween. Like on. that's not what we mean. So, you know, what, what we do mean is, um, having those things on and maybe coming out at a distance. So, you know, your puppy is sort of occupied in the living room and you casually walk out into the living room and dining room um, and, and see how your puppy reacts, right? If they're fearful, then um, then you know that you're going to take this at a much slower rate and maybe even take off the things um, and allow your puppy to put one on at a time, watch you put one on at a time. If your puppy just thinks like, oh yeah, they're in, you know, the usual um, beast costume, uh, then you know that you can sort of like continue to do that a little bit. So people, I would say, is our number one. Yeah. I think one of my favorite um, things about socializing puppies, and at least here in Missoula, this is still possible during the pandemic, is that most of the places that are dog friendly that I can bring my puppy also tend to be places where there are as many, if not more men than women. Yeah. Cool. You know, for example, I can't take Niffler into uh, the jewelry counter at TJ Maxx. But I can take him into Lowe's, Home Depot, Ace Hardware. We we just went to Cabela's yesterday. Um, I think Boot Barn is you know puppy friendly. Our local saddle maker is puppy friendly. <laughs> um, so all of my kind of indoor options also really help me um, introduce him to a lot of men. And frankly, a lot of the farming places it's a lot of older men because a lot of the farmers and ranchers around here are of the older generation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something to think about. Um, and those places also tend to be pretty safe as far as under vaccinated or unvaccinated puppies because there's not um, a ton of dog traffic there's not a ton of dog poop around that could be a vector for disease yeah and i think I, i'm glad that the first thing you said was people rather than dogs because i also think a common misconception from a lot of my clients is that socialization is all about dogs and they think well i have another dog and he plays with my neighbor's dog so he's socialized okay. and um the whole point of this podcast is that absolutely that is that is not enough socialization is about much much more than dogs and even you know two other dogs doesn't cut it even for the dog component um so what else besides people are you thinking about when helping clients socialize their puppies probably top of people's mind and and important is um socializing um to other dogs so then so then what does that actually mean and what does it look like um i think as we've touched on several times already uh it really is going to be dog dependent and um, both in breed and in what that dog will do for the rest of their life, right? So are we talking about a family dog who, um, you know, is going to go on neighborhood walks and see lots of other dogs in, in your neighbor's yards um, or out on that walk? Or are we talking about a sport dog or a working dog? So, th so there'll be different um, variances and exactly how we're socializing. 
Um, you know, I, I teach a lot of puppy kindergarten classes. Uh, we cap those classes at uh, age 20 weeks. And, um, you know, it's even really clear, like I'm in week, um, we just finished up week four of my current puppy class. Uh, and, and you really, I was pointing out to the, the dog owners in the class, you really do start to see a difference in play and interaction between the puppies. Um, and so the way we do puppy class, we do a short off-leash play period uh, where owners are learning about body language, um, learning about when to intervene and um, so that we make sure that there is no unsocial behavior, which can be bullying or can be kind of nervousness. And so how much that's already starting to change as we're getting a little bit older and our puppies closer to five and six months. So I think that, um, you know, puppy social, puppies socializing with each other is so important. There's so much learned there. Um, bite inhibition is learned. So if one, you know, chomps down on their playmate too hard and gets a yelp and that puppy stops playing, you know, that's feedback for that puppy. Um, that being said, if I have any concerns, uh, it, there's a lot we can work through in puppy class. But then if we have um, specific concerns about how um, one puppy is interacting with other puppies, then I um, I would absolutely reshift our focus to socializing with um, a, a truly social adult dog. And that doesn't mean just an overly friendly dog. That means an adult dog with really good social skills, like knowing when to put on the brakes, um, knowing um, good body language uh, to convey um to one another. So th that is also something that I, we, um, I'm not sure all dog owners realize, but the benefit of having um, an adult dog who can teach proper social skills to a younger dog, either puppy or adolescent is invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been blown away at how, um, how much my older dog has been teaching Niffler and how good he's been about it. And I honestly, I mean, just from an energy level standpoint, would be really <laughs> lost without um, mm -hmm. the help of my older dog. But and and I think it's important to kind of say that as part of that appropriate social communication from the older dog, there will probably be some growling, some putting a paw on the puppy's face, potentially <laughs> even some barking. You know, I've been watching my older dog um, Barley play with Niffler a lot, and you know, almost every day at some point, Niffler gets over aroused in play, and Barley will bark at him and slam him in the face with a paw. And I occasionally get questions from clients where they think that their older dog is being aggressive towards the puppy. And from what I am seeing with my current two dogs, it's not aggression. It is, I mean, I suppose it is because it is, you know, it, it is a display. Um, but he's teaching Niffler how to interact with him appropriately. And I'm really grateful that Niffler is getting that lesson. So, you know, if you're not sure um, whether or not the play or um, communication that you're seeing is acceptable you can always video that and submit it over on the pandemic puppy raising facebook group um, we have a group of admin who are all professional trainers who can kind of help you parse that out and see whether or not what we're seeing um, seems appropriate because again a lot of stuff that looks scary or aggressive to first-time dog owners is actually exactly the sort of dog communication and lessons that we want our puppies to be receiving yeah that's great my senior dog who's 12 now so she's getting a little bit more wobbly in her hips um, so I'm careful who I allow have access to her now. But uh, I call her my perfect mama dog because help shy, shy and sort of fearful young puppies mostly, but young dogs uh, really come out of their shell. So she's just like a master at taking things slowly, 
um, allowing a dog to feel safe and then slowly pulling them out into play. And it with, you know, with dogs who uh, lack confidence or tend to be a little shy or fearful, um, play is just so valuable in terms of sort of a method of therapy. Um, but then the other thing that she does is, um, you know, we talk about puppies having a puppy license um, and, and, and dog owners may experience this. So they may experience a young puppy, their, their older dog at home, sort of tolerate a lot of young puppy stuff. Um, and then at a certain age, um, their adult dog may start correcting their, their puppy more. And so I think there's sort of this idea of like, adult dogs viewing puppies as having a puppy license until they get to a certain age and then they're yeah. kind of like cut it out. And so she's so amazing at correcting dogs who are just, you know, jumping on your head. Isn't that the way to start play? And she's like, no, I, you know, I'd rather you not jump on my head. And so she'll do a correction, which looks like some sort of rah, 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 and then, and then it's off. Right. And then the puppy stops, they both shake it off and it's like, clean slate. So I think that's something also really valuable of an adult dog who can do a correction and then let it go. Um, It's really amazing to watch. It really is. A lot of times we focus a lot on people and dogs for socialization because I think they're in some ways harder because they're less under our control. Hmm. Um, You know, because some of the other things that you will be thinking about as you're socializing your puppy are um, things like different surfaces or, um, you know, like walking over a grate versus walking on tile versus walking on carpet, um, stairs, different sounds, um, construction, those sorts of things. Um, handling, a lot of that sort of stuff is a lot easier, in my opinion, to get done because I can control it. So I can take Ifler somewhere and I know that there's a place in town where there's a staircase um, that goes down to the river that is, um, it's a great sort of staircase because it's made for where um, anglers get out. So it drains water really easily. And I know I can I, I can just go there and it's going to be the same every time. I know I can just turn on a socialization playlist. I might listen to it first through headphones to make sure that it's not too loud or too scary um, of, you know, barking dogs and thunderclaps and firecrackers and whatever. And then I can play that and it's under my control um, versus one of the things that's really challenging is if you don't have one of these dogs that Brian and I are describing in your household, it's really hard to find. And um, you don't want to just go out to a dog park and hope that you're going to be able to find one of those dogs right. randomly out on the street. Really um, good point. I, would, I think that is much more likely to end up doing harm than good because the likelihood of you finding that with a strange dog is just uh, low. Even if that dog might do that at home, you know, Barley took three or four days to warm up to Niffler enough to do the sort of awesome communication and instruction I've been describing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And, and dog parks. I mean, we can talk about that, but yeah. Um, going there with the hope that you'll find the dog with the perfect social skills. The likelihood is that instead you'll find a dog with not great social skills um, that mm-hmm. can cause sort of behavioral harm to your puppy. So maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah. So just in terms of other things on your socialization checklist, um, I, I would say locations are huge. Um, you had talked about going to these big stores. Um, you know, we're we're being careful. These puppies. What is obvious is that we we've identified the socialization period when our puppies may not be fully vaccinated to parvo and distemper um, specifically. So, um, balancing that. So avoiding yeah. traffic dog stores um, and and areas like dog parks and and focusing on sort of these stores where there are much less dogs. We have Agway and Tractor Supply and Home Depot around here. Um, And so that being in a space with this really high ceiling with fluorescent lights, how sound moves around that space, how Mm -hmm. smell moves Mm -hmm. around that space. Shiny floors is something that I've um, worked with adult dogs with 
fear of um, of walking, and you know, mm-hmm. probably because of how the light reflects on it. So, so if we're talking about socialization, the um, automatic doors that open and close at these stores, um, <laughs> yeah, so many pieces of it. Um, so, you know, an outing to a store like that is um, is checking a lot of um, boxes. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be overwhelming. So, you know, again, as we're going to talk about keeping an eye on your puppy's body language as you go there. Um, although a lot of puppies, again, because we're working within that critical socialization period, most of them uh, are going to kind of take it all in stride because they're just kind of like, all right, this is new. You know, my brain says new stuff is good right now. So so generally, they're often okay. Something else that I that I think is important are moving objects. So things with wheels. Um, mm-hmm. And so I I guess my focus um, with my puppy in socializing to moving objects like bicycles, scooters, skateboards, um, and then larger things like cars and trucks um, is to find a distance where my puppy, where I'm watching their body language and they seem like they're comfortable um, and safe and then working on calm. So whether if they're comfortable just sitting and watching the thing go by, that's good. Um, if they have any tendency to hop up and want to chase, um, then I would sort of be working on teaching them to be calm around that moving object. Yeah, absolutely. I love, you know, yeah, working on getting my puppy to engage with me. And that's actually what I did in Cabela's yesterday as we went in. Um, you know, a bunch of people squealed over him. And I said, actually, we're working on ignoring people today. We did two laps around the store where just, you know, he got a treat every couple steps for just kind of like loose leash walking around all these different things. And then at the very end, I came up to those same, you know, the front desk, uh, COVID mask enforcement gals and was like, if you would like to meet him now, now he, you know, now we can. So two other things I kind of wanted to pull out a little bit more, um, just circling back to people, if at all possible, I recommend working with um, groups of people, different races, ages, you know, really thinking through variety in people. If your puppy has only met other, like, I mean, I know my first week or so with Niffler at home, everyone he met was like a 20 something year old white girl, um, because that is all of my friends currently. So thinking through trying to get your puppy more diverse exposure, um, that can be something that is even more challenging given the pandemic right now. Um, But, you know, potentially going to a local park and sitting with your trunk open so your puppy can just watch things go by if you don't feel safe vaccination wise, letting your puppy on the floor there or on the dirt there. And then the big thing that I've found really, really helpful with um, Niffler is just basically living my life. You know, Niffler comes and goes everywhere that Barley does right now. Um, And I am someone who brings my dog a lot of places. Barley goes skiing with me a couple times a week throughout the winter. He goes to agility class. He um, comes with me on runs. Niffler obviously isn't skiing or running yet, but I'm taking him to a lot of those places. He goes for a quick little walk um, to see everything that's happening. And then he goes in the crate in the car to sleep. And we, temperature-wise, are able to do that right here, um, right now, and that is safe for us. Um, but I really find that helpful to just think about, like, okay, if this is everything that Barley does right now, eventually Niffler also needs to be able to cope with this. So I am adding in some extra trips for socialization. You know, I wouldn't have gone to Cabela's yesterday if I wasn't intentionally taking Niffler there. Um, but I am pretty concertedly trying to take Niffler places that I know at some point I might want to take my dogs. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that well? It does. Um, I think, you know, so we're film, we're recording this during a pandemic. So you are an 
outdoorsy (laughs) physical kind of person. So that's like working, that's working out well. So I think, you know, my region um, is, is like very suburban. So it is affected by the pandemic. A lot is closed down and people are home overwhelmingly working from home. Kids are in school. So, so actually families with kids are like going in and out of the house a lot because they may be dropping them off. Um, So puppies can go on that. But I think with you know, where I am, it it does need to be a really concerted effort. Um, I think the good thing is it can be short. Like you can drive your puppy to, um, to the town green. Again, that's like one of my favorite places because there is just stuff going on. Um, but it allows you, um, space for your puppy to be at a distance from things and feel safe. And like we talked about, um, you know, how to keep your puppy safe if they're not fully vaccinated. You mentioned sitting in the back of your car. I love that. And also if your puppy, um, came down with a parasite, like, you, uh, you know, um, you realize your puppy has a parasite and actually now they can't join a puppy class and you shouldn't, be walking your puppy around town. Um, you do not want to miss this critical period. So sitting in the back of your trunk um, with your puppy, maybe chewing on something just allows you to get socialization in without putting anyone at risk. Um, and then the other thing, if your puppy isn't fully vaccinated, you also mentioned this, but going and parking and bringing a blanket and maybe like carrying your puppy to the blanket and you're going to sit and lay there. And in our town, there's a lot of like baseball and sit softball leagues. So puppies are sitting on blankets and watching that or the town green or a trailhead. Um, So, you know, those are ways that are both pandemic safe and puppy um, puppy health safe um, to make sure you're still getting your socialization in. Yeah, we did that uh, exactly that on Friday, actually, with Niffler, which was our first time doing that. We went to, um, there's a track near a huge riverside walking path in Missoula. So there's there's bikers, there's rollerbladers, there's roller skiers, there's people running their dogs, there's people with push strollers, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and we took Barley and Niffler and had um, had a big blanket for them and tied Niffler up um, and then was playing. we were playing fetch with Barley. And uh, Jason, my boyfriend, and I were doing um, a track sprint workout. So one of us would sprint around the track while the other one dog fat, and then we'd take turns. Um, and Niffler got a ton of socialization, quite a bit of exercise as well, um, and was just exhausted. But it was And it was lovely because we were in the middle of this track, so he had tons of distance from everything that was happening. And there were, um, we are in Missoula, which um, many, many people in Montana do not believe in leashes. Um, and But we had enough space where I could see an oncoming off-leash dog and just kind of scoop Niffler up and throw some food at that dog until the owner came and collected it, which was also really nice because I might be overly protective, but I have not really been letting Niffler meet off-leash strange dogs, hardly at all. Adult dogs are just not really a thing that I have been um, doing unless I really know them. Um, just because I don't want to have, you know, the the horror story of, you know, an off-leash dog bowling him over. And then when he squeals, the dog bites him or anything like that. I've just heard enough bad stories about that, that I'm really, really cautious with adult unknown dogs. Yeah, I think that, that's actually something probably really important that we could touch on is how to know if your puppy should meet another dog. Because I think that's, you know, we're talking about getting your puppy out to socialize. So when they see other dogs, you know, we've talked about not having them meet every dog, but how do they meet some of them to socialize? So I, body language is so important, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if you, you know, I, w- I always say first ask the other owner, um, that other owner may say no, right? They may say their dog has something that's contagious. They may say their dog actually isn't good with other dogs. There, there are a variety of reasons. Um, totally. so, uh, like a little red flag that I have um, just from years of experience. I find that if people describe their dog as fine, 
<laughs> I say thank you and I continue on my way. So if if a dog is happy to meet another dog, no owner will ever describe their dog as fine. So I always, to me, that word always means the dog is actually like had some bad experience. Like, been, right? Yeah. So um, if I hear the other do- other owner say, yeah, my dog's fine. Um, I, it's a red flag for me. Um, so you're looking for the other dog having loose body language, um, you know, not being overly stiff. Mm-hmm. leaning forward um, with tail up and then likewise not hiding behind their owner. So I also have yeah. seen situations where owners are sort of dragging a small dog behind them going, my dog wants to meet yours. And, and I'm looking at that poor small dog who's like crouched to the ground begging for their mm-hmm. owner to not have to meet this, you know, great Dane puppy. Um, so, you know, ask the owner, check out the other dog's body language and then look down and check out your own puppy's body language um, so that if you do a greeting, uh, you know, everyone actually wants to meet and then and then keep greeting short. Give them a few seconds. If you've been practicing name game or any other way of calling your dog out a hand target. Uh, you can call your puppy out. Laura, who wrote the book Social, Civil and Savvy, uh, she really emphasizes teaching a young puppy a hand target so that yeah. your dog comes and bumps their nose as a as a as a good tool in socializing because then you're asking your puppy to actually come out of the interaction rather than dragging them out of it. Um, so she teaches that as like one of the first skills. Yeah. And I will, I'll drop a video into the show notes, which you can find on journeydogtraining.com where I, I've got a, a 45 minute YouTube video where I go for, it's a compilation of like 10 training sessions with a puppy. Um, so you guys can see that. Um, yeah, I love that. One of the other things I like seeing um, us with adult dogs in particular is if they're getting themselves a little bit lower to the ground um, as you know not crouching and cowering but if they've got that nice sweeping tail wag and they're crouching a little bit as they approach the puppy um, that is a nice sign of some amount of self-handicapping where they're going they're likely aware enough of the size discrepancy that they're being friendly and gentle with the puppy Um, what I have done with Niffler is he has met other adult dogs um, primarily retired um, breeding dogs um, that I know through my agility classes. So if you're not involved in local dog classes or dog sports, it might be worth reaching out because a lot of people who breed dogs also show their dogs or compete with their dogs. So if you've got a dog training club nearby, you might be able to reach out to them. And most of the time, if someone has a female dog that has been bred and raised puppies multiple times, she is likely to be a great introduction for your puppy. Not always. Some females like their puppies and no one else's. Um, but that is a that is a really nice place to look because especially if you've got a younger puppy, if you're looking at mama dogs, um, you know, they've obviously successfully been around a lot of young dogs throughout yeah. their lives. Yeah, great point. Um, and and just a, a note about dog parks, since that um, we have a dog park kind of in each town here. And so people wonder, is that the place to go? Um, you know, dog play is amazing, right? Um, I guess um, our hesitance towards recommending dog parks um, are just that you you don't know who's there, right? And so if an adult dog has a, a bad experience with a dog, they have, you know, say it's a four-year-old dog, they have four years of good experiences to sort of fall back on and recover. If you're a young puppy who's only been alive for five months, um, has one bad experience at the dog park, um, it is likely that one experience will be much more impactful. So, you know, you don't know who's at the dog park, both health wise, um, yeah, disease can spread around dog parks, and then also behaviorally. And I think what I find is, you know, not that people have bad intentions when they take their dog, um, who has not great social skills to the dog park. But I hear a lot people want to take their adult dog to socialize them because they haven't been good with dogs. 
Yeah. So you have an adult dog. They've not been good towards other dogs. They're getting growly. They're getting whatever. Um, and so they take them to the dog park to socialize. And I think, you know, we've made it clear here. Socialization is happening only for baby puppies, um, not adult dogs. And so that adult dog, the owner's ideas, they're going to go there to learn skills and your per puppy could be sort of the subject of it. Um, so I, you know, I think all we would highly recommend, um, staying away from dog parks um, and and more like organizing with friends and families and neighbors whose dogs, um, you know, um, are friendly with other dogs in a good way. And Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like people, I think most dogs prefer to have kind of their group of known friends versus just a bunch of random strangers to get thrown in with. Um, I've really noticed Niffler has been going to puppy kindergarten now for about two and a half weeks. So he's been five or six times because they have it twice a week. Um, and he's really starting to recognize his friends. You know, he's got a couple dogs that he's always really excited to go see and go play with. Their play styles match well. And I think going forward, that's really valuable. I know my adult dog, Barley, is not um, the friendliest with other dogs. He's friendly and polite, but I, he's totally one of those dogs where I'd be like, yeah, he's fine. Um, <laughs> He, he's very friendly and polite, but he doesn't really want to hang out with most dogs, but he has his friends. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, rather than thinking about trying to get your puppy in with as many strange dogs as possible, I would think about trying to curate friendships and understanding between them. Um, and as your puppy gets older, I really, really prefer having them learn to focus on you around other dogs and then maybe doing activities with other dogs. So I do a lot of you know, off-leash hiking with other dogs where, you know, they're getting to socialize. They might play some, but the, the main focus isn't each other. Um, and I think that is also a lot healthier for most dogs. Um, they don't necessarily, as they hit adulthood, just want to play nonstop with other dogs, but they might enjoy walking near them and being near them and occasionally playing a little bit and, you know, chasing a stick together or whatever. Yes. Yes. Great point. Another socialization item there are a few more. One is weather, weather conditions. So as rain, as rain is forecasted or thunder, particularly um, snow, you know, different, different weather situations, thinking of it, at, you know, when you have a puppy, um, every day is so crucial. So I sort of look forward to weather happening when I have a puppy, because then I say, yay, we can put on our rain boots and rain gear and run outside and go play with my puppy. Um, so that rain becomes like this fun thing rather than something they hate. Likewise, thunder, right? Yeah. So if you can get out with your puppy and play, 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 play with their favorite toys or favorite treats and, and just start from early, early puppyhood trying to introduce thunder is not a scary thing because dogs with, um, you know, thunderphobia are sad. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one to control. And if you're, you know, I know I'm here in Montana, it is January. Um, we will not have a thunderstorm while Niffler is in his critical socialization period, but I do have a decent speaker. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I've been doing some thunderstorm noise. You know, there is some um, speculation that for dogs, you know, the, the whole storm event is part of what's stressful, not just the sound, but I'm doing what I can with the sound because I cannot simulate a massive pressure change and howling wind um, in my apartment. I do not control the weather, unfortunately. Yes, great. And another one is fireworks, right? So you may not, your puppy may not be a puppy during July 4th. Um, so that's another one you can look up online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll drop in, I have a Spotify playlist that I've been really liking. Um, so I'll drop that into the show notes as well. So we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsors, and then we're going to come back and talk about you know, how to keep an eye on your puppy's behavior and move forward um, if they seem nervous and anything else about checklists or vaccinations, all those, those sorts of questions. So we'll be right back. 
This podcast is supported by Journey Dog Training and our Pandemic Puppy Raising Blueprint course. If you're feeling lost with puppy raising, check this course out at journeydogtraining.com blueprint. The full course covers topics ranging from common problem behaviors and socialization to the humane hierarchy of dog training. And it's all taught by me, Kayla Fratt. If you need more personalized training support, you can check out journeydogtraining.com for tons of free blogs, courses, eBooks, and remote one-on-one training services. All right, so we're back. So, Bryony, behaviorally, what are you kind of keeping an eye on and hoping to see out of a puppy um, or, you know, any red flags that you might see as you're socializing a puppy? Yeah, I think I'm looking for my puppy to just sort of um, be normal as they see and experience events, right? So just sort of their average, like what they look like when they are just hanging out with you is what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, sometimes like sort of a startle reaction will happen. Um, that's okay. And then I, I hope to have my puppy kind of recover quickly from that. Um, and, and I can help them recover from something that may have startled them uh, by moving them away from it. So um, that can be, you know, a flag or a trash bag flaps in the wind or a garbage can knocks over, you know, all of these things. So, so it's okay, you know, it's, it's natural for a puppy to sort of react to something like that. And then I will sort of trot away with them and help them at a distance. Yeah, I mean, I think generally, yeah, I want kind of polite interest. Um, and then generally kind of boredom where they're kind of looking at it, watching it go by, and then kind of looking back at me like, all right, now what? Um, I don't really want to see any Overexcitement, um, you know, barking, lunging, trying to get at it, um, even if it's playful, um, that would be a cause for me of saying, okay, you know, that's going to be really annoying when you're 60 pounds. So let's let's st- take a step back and make this easier. And then fear as well, obviously. So as you said, you know, a little bit of a startle is okay. Um, the first time that a semi put on its brakes near Niffler, he was kind of like, whoa, um, and then he recovered well. And you know, we we went on. Um, that wasn't a thing that I was super concerned about. One of the things I find um, interesting is thinking about, you know, sometimes when people are like, yeah, you know, my puppy's so good. He's so quiet. He just kind of sits at my feet and watches the world go by. A lot of times that is actually a sign of some amount of fear. So just keep an eye on puppies like that. You know, it could genuinely be that you have a really lazy show line you know, happy-go-lucky little puppy. Um, there's a gold. There's a show line golden retriever in our puppy kindergarten class who is pretty happy to just like she'll play a little bit and then she'll go back and just kind of like fall asleep under her owner's feet and she is just like the laziest golden retriever you've ever seen. Um, but that is different from we have some other rather fearful puppies in our um, kindergarten class who much more want to sit very quietly under their owner's feet and just watch. And you know, they're they're getting what they need right now, but that. Uh, I wouldn't confuse the two. Um. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and I think, um, unfortunately, sometimes I see puppy owners realize their puppy hasn't been comfortable for the first month or two uh, when they start seeing the same thing that they've always sort of, you know, their body language has actually been that they were a little fearful of it and they start barking at it. And that, you know, happens a little bit later in their puppyhood. So, so what to do if you, if you see, if your puppy is sitting under your feet, um, not in a, um, I'm going to fall asleep way, but in a sort of, I'm not sure about things. So 
we do not recommend putting your puppy in the middle of things um, to kind of let them deal with it, right? So that idea of just sort of like flooding them. My puppy is nervous around off-leash puppies, so I'm just going to plop them in the middle of the room and let them kind of figure it out um, is not recommended. Um, so that fear can increase. So so then how to do it? I think doing it repeatedly, if you notice your puppy is a little cautious around the world, then make it your commitment that you're going to um, – commit to socialization on a regular basis throughout the day and every day in small doses. Um, So allowing your puppy to be in a comfortable place that may be by your feet. What I see often in puppy class is a a shyer dog. I will not let off-leash puppies bombard uh, a puppy who is unsure, right? And I encourage that owner to sort of be a barrier so their puppy can go behind them. And what we see when we when we sort of allow that puppy to be protected, um, we see by week three and four, that puppy really starts to venture out. And sometimes it means putting a little pen around them so that they don't uh, repeatedly get bombarded by other puppies because they will certainly learn to start growling at those other puppies who keep mauling them. So we actually put a little pen around um, an unsure puppy. And then you almost across the board by week three and four, they start to venture out a little more, start to venture out a little more. And then I'll pair them with one or two puppies who I know will sort of be a little bit more um, subtle. Um, So what to do if your puppy is a little unsure about the world, continued um, commitment to socialization, doing it in small doses. Um, If I'm going to go to a new place, I'll I'll put my puppy down right by me um, so that they kind of have a home base and then they can start to venture out rather than like, here in the middle of a field with no yeah. home base, right? Um, or in the middle of a store with home, no, you know, so sort of giving them a home base and encouraging them to sort of venture out at their own pace, come back. Usually the confidence develops if you sort of help foster it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you are seeing a lot of like overt fear signs from your puppy, that is probably a good place to, it, it better to get help sooner rather than later. So don't be shy about reaching out to a trainer for help. If you are seeing like, okay, my puppy is like actively growling at other dogs that we see, or, you know, we went to the the PetSmart parking lot and he had a total meltdown or, you know, these other kind of more extreme options. That would be the sort of thing where I, I would get help right away or something like that. Um, and, you know, toning it down. So, you know, I've been describing taking Niffler to Cabela's and these other big things. If I had a Shire or more fearful puppy, I probably wouldn't be doing that quite yet. We might go to the Cabela's parking lot, or we might have only done one lap around Cabela's, or, you know, there's always ways to modify it. And as we've been hammering, I think this entire podcast is there's no one size fits all. Um, But certainly keeping an eye on your puppy's body language, if you're starting to see their hackles go up, their tail go way high or way low, and that's in comparison to their normal tail set. So that's going to look different for a Shiba Inu with a full corkscrew tail versus a Whippet whose natural tail set is going to be more or less between its legs anyway. Anything like that where the puppy is, um, you know, seeming really nervous or really excited, that is a sign that you probably want to tone it down a little bit, you know, move further away, cut your sessions short, I, I'm totally happy with you to have, with you and your puppy having neutral experiences, um, but we don't want negative experiences as much as possible. So you, you had uh, mentioned early on, you know, are we using treats when we're socializing or yeah. are we not using treats? Is this more passive? I think this is really the time when treats come in, right? So if there's an indication um, that your puppy is unsure about things, um, you know, in science uh, lingo, it's, um, counter conditioning them. So if something was giving that was making them unsure, we want to start pairing that thing with something they love. Um, With dogs, that's really easy to do with food because you can deliver it quickly. And most dogs, you know, are happy to get 
um, treats or food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is, you know, and you're not waiting until your dog is growling or you're not yeah. waiting until your dog is um, hiding behind you and cowering. It's just, um, but any sign of like being unsure, I would say, let's bring those treats out, give them a distance from the thing, mm-hmm. um, which is desensitizing them to it slowly, right? Like we're not going to yeah. just expose them right to it. And then introducing treats. Um, this is where that can be, um, can be really useful. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I break out treats um, mostly for kind of engagement sort of stuff, because again, my goal for Niffler is that he will be able to fly um, around the the world with me the way Barley has. So I want, you know, I want him to be able to walk through an airport looking at me um, or, you know, glancing back and forth because obviously he needs to watch where he's going as well. Um, so the, I am using a lot of treats as I'm socializing him, but it's more because I'm using the treats to reinforce that like engaged loose leash walking or sitting or lying down that I'm asking for, not so much to strictly counter condition what it is that I'm, that he's nervous about. Although when he is nervous about things, then we are counter conditioning. But I think one of the other, um, you know, we, we are using treats to some degree, not always, there's a lot of passive exposure. So, um, you know, treats come out when you want to reinforce engagement or when you notice something that's a problem. I really don't have treats come from strangers, though. Um, And that is kind of a personal thing for me. So I'm interested to see how how you um, may treat that, Bryony. But for me, I would rather, you know, reinforcement comes from me. Good things come from me. If he wants to go meet those people, great. But the people themselves are the reinforcer. And if he doesn't want to approach people without them having food, that tells me he doesn't want to go meet them. You know, if he wants to go get chicken from a stranger, he wants the chicken. He doesn't want the stranger. Um, And it can, it can, um, having strangers produce chicken can help. Um, But that's much more of like a behavior modification plan that I would want you guys to be getting help with from a professional. Um, Because the other thing that can happen is your puppy can start becoming suspicious of treats because... They come to get the chicken from the stranger and then the stranger tries to kiss him on the top of the head and now the treat feels like a trap. Um, And you can really undo a lot of trust in treats and training through um, poorly done uh, counter conditioning. So again, if you really feel like you need to break out a lot of treats to get your socialization done, you're probably pushing too hard too fast um, or you have a a fearful puppy. And I'd really rather if you reached out to to someone you know, we'd recommend IABC or CPDT people for the most part. I'll drop in links to the show notes. Um, and you can also check out the Pandemic Puppy Raising Facebook group for help. Yeah, I I, um, I see. I think those are good points. One, to keep your puppy focused on you. And two, you know, it's maybe not having the impact you wanted having a stranger have treats. I see two helpful things like um, one, you know, the puppy's still socialize. They're still being socialized to other people, right? So it's not that they're fearful. Um, but they still need, you know, it's still helpful, I think, for a man with a booming voice to, oh, by the way, I have a treat for you. Um, the totally. other way I would work on greetings um, kind of pre-pandemic more was um, for my um, dog owners to have their puppy at their side and sort of hand off a treat to whoever they may meet when they're doing an outing and then releasing the dog to go say hi. And that person could ask the puppy for a sit and reward it. I think there are lots of benefits. The puppy is sort of learning every single person is going to ask him for a sit. And that can just start to be a, a, a way to greet people. Um, there, there is some positive things coming from strangers. So there's positive, you know, there's positive associations um, being built there. And also it gives the person something to do, right? So we talk about totally. giving our dog something to do. A stranger, rather than ruffling up my poor puppy's head or patting them on the head or 
Uh, now that stranger has something to do. Oh, I, every stranger becomes like a immediate dog trainer um, when they get a treat and they are supposed to ask a dog for a sit. So they're happy. They're really happy to go sit, yeah. sit, sit. And they do it in different voices. So it is socializing your puppy to it, you know, making sure they're comfortable. And then your puppy sits, learns that in the greeting, and then your puppy gets a treat. Um, I've switched that out a little bit to um, sort of sending a puppy out to go hand target a person, even though that person doesn't realize it during the pandemic. So we're not handing off treats. But I think so I think there are some benefits, you know, knowing the caveats also. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I and it's not that I've never let a stranger feed my dog. It's more I think I generally would want to avoid my dog thinking that every single person is going to feed them or using the treats to kind of coerce them into yes. meeting someone that they're not comfortable with. Um, you know, I think like I love your point of like, oh, yeah, b big, scary men with, you know, gigantic beards and booming voices produce treats. Absolutely. Yeah, I I, 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 I would do that. You're totally <laughs> right. But if my puppy sees that dude and wants to, you know, book it the other way, I'm not then going to right. use a fistful of chicken to coerce my puppy right. into going meet him. So it's it's a fine line. Well, but you're also saying something that dog trainers do. Um, and I don't know that we convey this to dog owners. So dog owners hire us because they are frustrated their dog won't listen to them out in public. And then they say, oh, my dog will listen to you, right? Like it's magic. It's not magic. It's just that dog trainers and professionals, um, we raise our dogs focusing on us. So we will always, you know, we know that we're always competing with the environment. So we always are going to reward our dogs for check-ins, for, you know, the attention yeah. coming back on us. That's something we do constantly with our dogs. And so it's not magic that our dogs will listen to us when we're out in public. Um, and it's something that dog owners, um, don't know. I think, I think a lot of them don't know, don't realize that's like an important skill. And so I, I like to convey that. Um, I love when a dog owner sort of that light bulb goes off and they're like, yeah, when I'm with my puppy out in the green, I really want my puppy to focus on me and rewarding that focus. So, um, it's fun for me when dog owners sort of realize it's not magic. It's just reinforcing your puppy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even at, at Cabela's yesterday, I'm sorry, I'm like really selling <laughs> Cabela's here at the socialization place. Um, he, uh, Niffler, when we did get to go meet the, the mask enforcement gals, he went and met them. Um, and then when he, as soon as he came back to me, he got treats. Totally. Um, so they didn't have treats. So he got to go socialize with them as much as he wanted. Um, and then when he came back to me, he was reinforced for that. So exactly what you're saying, you know, it's like, yeah, you can go get social, um, you know, hugs and kisses and, you know, whatever. He likes cleaning the inside of your ear. Um, <laughs> uh, and then he can come back to me. And that's when really, really good treats happen. I personally find um, a couple different checklists helpful as primers for people. Um, so I have used both the Sophia Yin checklist and the um, Puppy Passport checklist, which I'll link both of those in the show notes. Um, but Brian, before we started recording, you and I talked a little bit about, um, you know, making sure people understand how we would generally use those. So how would you go about kind of recommending that someone use one of these uh, socialization checklists, if at all? I would not hang it on the fridge. And, and I, you know, there are dog trainers who will hand it out and people should check off every box. And so you're sort of just going for quantity over quality. So I would look at those checklists um, that we have a couple that we like as just like, okay, jogging your, your memory and your brain to make sure you're sort of considering things like even now, you know, I, we have Leo. Um, it's the first puppy I've had in a while also. And so when I was thinking about socialization, um, 
you have a lot going on in your brain. So looking at a checklist can just remind you, oh, yes, it's not summer. So we haven't used the lawnmower. But that reminds me next summer, how is he going to react to the lawnmower? So maybe totally. that's something I'll go crack out or yeah, out of the shed or um, yeah, actually, my town is not very racially diverse. Um, that's a good point. I need to go um, make sure that um, that we're, we're going to different places um, or like equipment. Um, you know, are we around someone in a wheelchair or using crutches or a cane? No. Okay. So that's something I need to go do intentionally. So checklists are helpful to just sort of like make sure you're not um, forgetting anything. You know, if your dog never sees a pair of crutches, it doesn't mean they're going to freak out when they see them when they're five years old. But it, it's just a, it's a helpful kind of jogging of your memory. And then um, just quality over quantity, right? Like so that they've seen some of those things within each category um, is really helpful. Yeah, I've found it useful to kind of just crack it open every couple of days and just kind of be like, oh, yeah, you know, he is 12 and a half weeks old. We still haven't like hit many things in this category. Right. Um, and I know like a lot of both of the checklists that I've referenced ha uh, include some veterinary handling. And that's something that I had totally forgotten. Um, so, you know, practicing checking his ears and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm not I'm not marching around with the checklist in front of my face, uh, doing like a five hour socialization extravaganza every Saturday. It's more just kind of like, oh, you know, what did we hit today? And then at the end of every couple days, I might look at it and see, OK, yeah, you know, I've checked off because a lot of them there there's you can check based on how many things you saw on a given day. And I've been kind of filling it out at the end of the day. And then I can look back and see, you know, it's been a week since we did any noise work. Um, and that just kind of helps remind me. But yeah, I think absolutely quality over quantity. Another important point is like, you and I, this is our job. So we're talking mm -hmm. about doing our job on our own puppy, which is like kind of silly, because the vast majority of people have other jobs or careers or lives. And then the puppy is like this outside piece of it, right? So like, of course, like yeah. you're doing all these things, um, but this is what you do full time. So like, um, right. so something I did with Leo because life is busy and I have, you know, we're managing it all was um, I would print out a week. Like I just made a little word document that um, I would have Monday, Sunday through Saturday. Um, and so like at the beginning of each week, I would jot down kind of ideas. So like this week I want to hit up a, a big box store hit up the green and maybe go to the beach and on those things, like I, at the beach, I think he's going to see these variety of things. And at that store, I kind of have an idea. He's gonna see that. Um, and then that, like, it just helped me because days, like when we're busy, your day, like it's the end of the day and you realize like you've, you, you've, you're also working on house training and puppy biting right. and training. So like, it's just, it's just too much to do socialization full time. So like, I find that if you can carve out 20 minutes of your week to like make a plan, and then, um, and then you have it. And even if you don't stick to it exactly, you've done more probably than you would have if you hadn't been intentional about it. Um, an another sort of resource is my fantastic friends blog. Okay. So they have um, puppy socialization during a pandemic. It is long because it covers, you know, what we've talked about, but handling like we have not talked about, and that is so important. Um, can your puppies? paws be dried off? Can their ears be checked? Can you administer medicine? And introducing that at a very young age. Um, and then household noises. So they, it's a very comprehensive um, like blog post or article. Awesome. Um, it covers a lot. And I really love that one too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, again, I've found those really helpful for just like, 
oh yeah, you know, uh, Niffler, because we, I live in this like 300 square foot cottage that doesn't include the bathroom or kitchen. I have to walk into a different building for that. Um, I've intentionally taken Niffler over to the other building a couple times just so he can hear pots and pans clattering around for a couple minutes. Or if I'm going to use the blender, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm going to go grab him from his puppy pen, bring him over to the kitchen and then use the blender and then go put him back in the puppy pen. You know, just remembering that, you know, one day I hopefully will be living in a house where my kitchen is in the the building that I live in. Uh, (laughs) And my my puppy will need to be able to to handle that. Or, um, you know, I was just kind of like vacuuming my welcome mat every couple days, um, because that's the only carpet I have just so that he's exposed to vacuums. You know, I, I didn't, did I need to vacuum my welcome mat? No, but it's the only carpet I had. So I vacuumed it. For me, I'm kind of an obsessive vacuumer. <laughs> like I do it almost every day. <laughs> so, and I've had, you know, many client dogs over who uh, barked at the vacuum. And I, that was so important to me that I not, um, so I, from like the first, like the second day he arrived home, he was in a bully stick in one room and I even had a glass door closed and I was vacuuming way far away. I was like so determined to introduce that daily in a uh, slow way. And he just couldn't care less now that the vacuum is out. Um, so think about what you do regularly too. And yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that is probably the most important point. You know, like we haven't mentioned livestock, but if you live near horses or you have a horse, like that is going to be much more important to you than construction potentially. Um, versus if you live in a high rise in downtown LA, yeah, you should probably get your puppy used to a lot of elevators, oh, yeah, elevators, elevators. Right, uh, right. you know, construction, loud noises, a wide variety of diverse people. We have like one building in our little shoreline stretch that has uh, an elevator. And so I, I'm always like, take your, take your puppy there to ride the elevator. So I was actually thinking about this um, the other day. I don't think there's a single escalator in the city of Missoula. And there might not be a single escalator in the state of Montana. I, I like, I, I have not figured it out. But um, you know, because I was thinking, um, Barley cannot handle escalators. He, he is um, an awesome everywhere um, dog. But like moving walkways or escalators in airports, he won't do. So we just always take the stairs, and it's fine. Or elevators. He's fine with elevators. And I was thinking about trying to expose Niffler to them, and I was like, oh my god, I don't. I don't think there is a single escalator in the state of Montana because there is none at our mall. There's none at our airport. Um, and if it's not in Missoula, it, maybe it's in Billings because that's the next biggest city, but that's five hours away. So, you know, sometimes you just take what you can get and okay, I'm just going to have another dog who has not met a escalator. Okay, so let's talk briefly about the pandemic and unvaccinated puppies. Um, we're not vets. I am hoping to get a vet on um, to speak to this a little bit more specifically. Um, but what are some of kind of your general guidelines for how to do this safely um, during uh, when puppies are under vaccinated? I think the pandemic is going to be very locally dependent, depending on your um, your local regulations. Right. I mean, I think easy with the pandemic. Um, our focus has been your dog watching things at a distance. So that all of that can and should be done during the pandemic because you're not actually getting. And then the other thing I like to remind is most leashes are six feet long. So <laughs> if you send your puppy out to say hi to someone, you know that you're six feet from them, um, assuming you have a six foot leash. Um, yeah. So, you know, puppies in the midst of vaccination. Um, yeah, I mean, things like parvo can be shed and, um, and then can live in dirt for up to a year. It's kind of scary. Um, so if you're looking at a puppy kindergarten class, um, it is ideal if that class is held on floors that can be sanitized before, um, then after class, um, 
that is um, one thing that those floors are being, you know, um, cleaned with a germicide. Um, and then other things are, you know, if you're going to a store for, for Leo's, you know, first several months, uh, weeks with us, when we went to a store, he wrote in a shopping cart and he didn't, uh, it, that wasn't too scary to him. If I had a dog who kind of freaked out in a shopping cart, I would rethink that. And also I, I put a little blanket in there. So he, you know, we had to go to Petco at one point. Um, and so he, I carried him, he was little, uh, to the shopping cart, um, and put a blanket down and then he rode in that. And so he got to see the world. Small dogs can be, um, can be held or carried in bags or put into strollers. Like that's still socialization. A little point with small dogs is they tend to be held a lot. And so we don't, um, it is easier to miss their body language. Like if they're, if they're stressed out about something, they don't walk, they can't walk behind you to hide. Uh, so just being, um, knowing body language, Kayla, is going to post a link to that. I have these little bookmarks I love giving to clients with um, some of the stress signs. Um, So your puppies still get socialized if you're carrying them or if they're in a stroller or in a cart, bringing a blanket, you know, going to a public place and putting your puppy on the big blanket um, protects you guys. And then we've talked about from your car, also like drive-throughs, like going through drive-throughs is fun to introduce your dog to because it's not fun to have a dog who barks their head off. Um, and, and, and then the other thing we haven't talked about is like guarding breeds. So dogs who are just sort of like genetically bred to go- protect their owner from other things, they are more likely to bark at things. So I would, um, I would also include that in things like drive throughs. Um, you know, I would yeah. do a lot of work of exposing my guarding breeds to um, getting a cookie when we go through whatever the Starbucks drive through or Dunkin Donuts or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, talk to your vet about the local um, risk in your area. Um, You know, obviously, your vet is going to have different opinions. Uh, All vets are going to have thoughts about vaccinations. There's a pretty wide variety. My vet, um, so Niffler just got his second round of vaccinations on Friday. We're recording on a Monday. And she was like, you know, I'd rather have him behave really well-rounded than under-socialized. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep hitting the trails. Keep taking them out. Um, And we have a couple specific trailheads that she recommended I don't go to because people are so notoriously bad about picking up their dog poop and they're so popular. But, you know, talk to your vet um, about whether or not parvo is a really common problem where you are or distemper or anything like that. I think distemper is basically 100% fatal. I know there are a couple dogs that I've heard of who have survived it, but like it is a very, very big deal to avoid it. Parvo, um, it's much more survivable, but it is a really, really nasty disease that often involves a significant amount of time in a veterinary ICU. Um, So, you know, don't take this lightly, but socialization is also really, really, really important. And keep your puppy in, do do it all these safe ways so that they... um... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So, you know, be careful about it. If you do live in an area where there are a ton of unvaccinated dogs and it is really high risk, you might end up needing to be more careful than how we've described even. But um, for most most places, if you're just kind of keeping your puppy off the ground and not going places where a ton of other dogs frequent, um, you're probably going to be more or less okay. Okay, so we have a quick patron question and then we are done. Um, I really, you know, the goal is to keep this at an hour long and it is just clearly not possible because there's so much to cover. So our patron's question is that um, my new rescue Amstaff puppy, who's about 40 pounds, is generally so rough and mouthy that he often hurts my little nine-year-old Morky, um, which is a mini Yorkie, I assume, um, Twelve, who's 12 pounds. He bites at his legs and sometimes stands over on top of my Morky when trying to play. It doesn't seem to be intentionally aggressive. 
anytime you're working with dogs with big size differences, and especially when the larger one is the younger one with less good play skills, I would just recommend pretty heavy management. I would want this Amstaff puppy getting a lot of appropriate dog-dog play with other dogs that are more size appropriate and able to correct him and able to help teach him good play skills. And when he is not satiated with play and he is in that amped up, high energy, want to play, want to rough and tumble state, um, I would probably just keep him separate from the Morky with baby gates, um, et cetera. Especially when you're talking about an Amstaff, they, he's going to get bigger. Um, and they tend to like a really, really rough play style that especially for a nine-year-old toy breed is just not a good match. Um, so I think to keep it relatively brief, I would just not really allow them to play hardly at all. I would want that dog playing with other dogs. And that dog on leash, probably a lot more than it's happening. So this also applies to like cats or other small animals in the home, rabbits. Um, it is not about your puppy inter chasing your cat or trying to play with your rabbit, not at all. Socialization in my mind with cats and rabbits and other small animals are my puppy is on leash. When, when they are in the same space together, my puppy is on leash and I am feeding the breakfast while they lay on a mat. Like that yeah. all of the socialization is built about calm when that small animal is around. And I would apply a small um, toy breed to that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and um, as with any of our patron questions, if you still need more help, you know, you can always drop on over to the pandemic puppy racing Facebook group or um, hire one of the trainers uh, that we recommend there for further help. But yeah, uh, to keep it brief, just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them play, unfortunately. Um, and if there are, you know, if the Morky does enjoy and solicit play from the Amstaff at times, um, then again, working with your trainer to kind of figure out ways to properly allow that to happen um, is potentially on the table, but I would really want to know whether or not that Morky really does want to play with that Amstaff um, before allowing it at all. Because just because the Amstaff wants it doesn't mean he gets it. All right, so over the next couple episodes, we're gonna cover developmental stages, chewing, nipping, potty training, all sorts of other common problem behaviors. Um, so Bryony, as we're heading out, where can listeners find you online if they're interested in working with you or learning more about you? Um, so our website is um, sandypawsdogtraining.com. Um, I'm doing a lot of online training, so as well as serving local clients. Um, I'm, I'm um, launching online classes, but then also um, online private training. I'd love to help. Cool. All right. So thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, review, and consider supporting the podcast and getting even more amazing information by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. You can sign up for the puppy raising blueprint course at journeydogtraining.com and make sure that you definitely join that free pandemic puppy raising support group on Facebook. Um, that is what sparked this whole podcast and it's incredibly helpful. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you.